Rich Simon is a name you've probably never heard, but in the fields of psychology, behavioral health, and psychotherapy, he was a person who helped launch the careers of wellness gurus and experts like Esther Perel, Daniel Siegel, Bessel van der Kolk, Dick Schwartz, Marvel Hendricks, and Terry Reel, just to name a tiny fraction. Nearly all of the masters in our field since the 70s can trace some part of their success back to Rich Simon's minus touch. Rich died suddenly on November 10th. He was 71 years old. The memorial group on Facebook for Rich has been helping all of us get through these days, including this touching performance of Gone Too Soon by prolific author and psychology innovator Bill O'Hanlon. When you're too soon gone, you're just too soon gone. Cause time makes me pay for all these memories I bought. And you, you're too soon gone. By being the leader of leaders in this fast-changing field, Rich was at the vanguard of advancements and revolutions in our field. It's a long list, and that's the genius of Rich, that he built such a big tent that included all of the behavioral health disciplines, psychology, social work, counseling, psychiatry, marriage and family therapy, and coaching. And I'm probably missing a few. And within that big tent, Rich had endless curiosity and passion for innovation in brain science, trauma, mindfulness, business, relationships, sexuality, feminism, LGBTQ, body work, psychopharmacology, the arts, and multiculturalism. It's a huge list. Clifton Mitchell, author and behavioral change expert, called Rich the greatest promoter of psychotherapy the world has known. Without you ever knowing it, Rich has undoubtedly touched your life, kind of like Oprah for all of us in the trenches of the helping professions. He had that many connections. He was a front office director, editor, businessman, and showman, creating a brightly lit stage on which we could stand and shine, to teach, to come into our power as healers, to learn. As the change maker in our field, Rich Simon's primary instrument and in his legacy is an organization called the Psychotherapy Networker, a magazine and media company that produced arguably the most successful mental health conferences in the world. Every year, for more than 40 years, Close to 4,000 shrinks and scientists, social workers, and soul healers from all over the world would pack into the Omnishoram Hotel in downtown D.C. every year to learn with 125 of the brightest teachers in our field. You know, I kept hearing from people, attendance is dwindling and no one has interest. And I would say, have you been to the networker? Have you met Rich? Because, you know, while people were talking about their conference as dwindling, um, you know, the networker remained on fire. Before his death, Rich's daughter and I were planning to record an episode of The Soul of Life last week. That's how I learned the news. No doubt this week's been difficult for all of us, most especially his family and beloved friends. The news of losing Rich penetrated my heart and shook me through sadness and grief and Yet through that nauseating, bottomless feeling that probably still torments many of you, one thing kept bubbling to the surface for me over and over again. Gratitude. And it's from this appreciation that I speak with you today for my 20 years worth of listening and learning in this challenging and consuming profession. 
this art of healing and counseling that can be hard on our souls. I've never been alone. This past year, as I've touched a bottom of my soul that has been confusing and scary with my own reluctance to admit my depression, I have never been alone. And it's because of you, this tribe that Rich led, even in my own suffering and burnout and physical breakdown. I've been firmly planted in Rich Simon's gargantuan garden of learning. I have never been alone. I've been in your company, in the Networker tribe. So it's from this gratitude and joy that I decided to use this time I had reserved for Sina, Rich's daughter, this week to celebrate Rich, to remember Rich, and to speak about grieving. I didn't know Rich as deeply as many of you, except for one tumble with being Simonized, the endearing term you'll hear David Kessler and Joe Court and I use to refer to this special club of having one of our brilliant ideas blown apart by Rich's juggernaut editing power. He knew what therapists wanted to hear. He knew what therapists were looking for. And then um, I felt like he ripped it to shreds. Like I got it back and I thought, oh my God, he hates me and he hates what I wrote. And and this is like going to be, maybe he's not going to hit me, but it wasn't. His whole thing was to be critical, but not mean and to bring out the best in you. He was infamous for being an editor of editors, demanding, blunt, honest, but real, tender, imaginative, eager to explore new dimensions. I couldn't think of two better people to join me in this conversation than David Kessler and Joe Court. David Kessler is unquestionably one of the world's foremost experts on grief. As a co-author and protege of the great Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, gave us the landmark five stages of grief, David took up her mantle and continued her work recently writing about a sixth stage of grief, finding meaning after his own 21-year-old son died tragically a few years ago. David's also a best-selling author of six books and runs the website grief.com. He's been one of the regular faculty of the Psychotherapy Networker Symposium. He was also someone who said, David, we we know Kubler-Ross. We don't know you. Help us know you. So, you know, he not only took me to, you know, 20 levels higher in writing my description, but also just in owning my own power. And, uh, you know, that's, you just kind of got off the phone with him and you're like, wow, all right. That that was, a, you know, a massive hurricane I just went through that helped. When David Kessler met Mother Teresa the year before her own death, he said she was beaming when she whispered to him that she would be dying soon. She said, death is like falling into the arms of God, a going home to God. David is one of the saints, I think, that has dedicated his life to caring for the dying and grieving. He reminds us not to compare different kinds of grief as if some are real and others we just have to suck up. Oh my gosh, does the woman not realize your son died? I mean, she's gonna have a wedding again in a year. You're never getting another son. Well, which grief is the worst? And I always go, the worst grief is yours. So important for us to hear this. It may take imagination for some of us to believe this, but half of our country is grieving their loss in this election. It takes so many different forms. David says there's room for all of it, for all of our grief. We talk about David's leadership during the pandemic. Joe Court is a psychotherapist and a past presenter at the Networker Conference. 
he credits Rich for helping him come out a second time and helped him become a leading expert on so-called sexual addiction in the gay and LGBTQ community. Joe has been one of those reformers in our field that is changing the way we think and talk about out-of-control sexual behavior. Welcome to this special edition of The Soul of Life, Remembering Rich Simon. I'm Keith Miller, a big band leader for all of us, like the great jazz legend, Charlie Parker. This is for you, Rich. At the end of the day, grief is love. My guests today are two very special people, and this has been a very special week, a very difficult week for all of us. Uh, Rich Simon, the leader of our psychotherapy community, passed away last week. He was 71 years old. He lived in Chevy Chase, Maryland. He was near to me here where I live, and he was the leader of the Psychotherapy Networker, which is perhaps one of the world's largest psychotherapy conferences. And Rich's death was sudden, and a lot of us are still dealing with that. And I'm bringing together two people who are important, I think, for this conversation, two people that knew Rich from being faculty uh, teachers at the Psychotherapy Networker Conference, Joe Court, who's a sex therapist and trauma therapist in Michigan, David Kessler, the world's foremost expert on grief and writer of many books, including one recently about the sixth stage of grief, building on Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work on the five stages of grief. And it's a real pleasure to have both of you with me here today. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Yep. So I want to just ask basically how are you doing uh, this week? Joe, how has this been affecting you? I'm still in shock. I think every time I think about it, I feel shocked. It's like a new shock every time because it's so, um, uh, it happens so fast. And um, I, I'm just, I'm feeling kind of sad that I'm never going to go back and forth with him uh, and be what we called uh, Simon, being Simonized uh, in my articles and my presentations. And um, I'm going to miss him. Yeah. Yeah, David, how are you doing? I think it's the same thing. It's hard to just fan to, you know, to, to, to understand and and have a grasp of you know here today gone tomorrow how you know that this world is going to be uh, a much less interesting place without Rich because he was a a light that will never be replaced. He was a bright light for for many of us. He he we're going to talk about some of the ways in which he brought out the best in us, the way he pushed us. Um, my heart was just so heavy this week. I was scheduled to record with his daughter today, actually, right now, with Sina Simon, who is also a psychotherapist. And that's how I found out the news um, through her because she was not able to make it. And I thought there couldn't be a better way. Uh, first of all, I stumbled through my day um, trying not to think about what she was telling me. Um, but when I sort of checked with parts of me, I realized... I was feeling gratitude. And to me, the best way I could express my gratitude for all the lifetime of connections, my 20 years as a social worker in this field, um, going to this conference, which is an annual conference of um, sometimes up to 4,000 people, 
in my backyard, a 10 minute walk from my office at the Omni Shoreham Hotel in downtown DC, I felt gratitude. And so that's why I wanted to bring Joe here and David. And uh, so I, I wanna remember Rich today and, and talk a little bit about this character that he was. And I wanna say is, I'm just gonna say is. Uh, Rich is a character. And um, your first impressions, Joe, when you, your first impression of meeting Rich Simon, because um, this was a guy who would put on a top hat and get up there on stage uh, unlike um, some of these other conferences we go to, where, as one friend put it, they're these boring as shit conferences that you know people are droning on and on. Rich Simon gets up there in a top hat and he's shuffling and he's doing a song and dance, literally. Joe, what was your first impressions? Well, mine was before that. I had sent in my book and um, had asked if I could uh, submit a proposal for a, um, a workshop and um, perhaps write for his magazine. And the next call I get was from him telling me that he had received the book and that the reason he had actually called me was that I had a nice picture on the cover, but that Jim Foreman, who had helped him do the earlier um, symposiums, said that I was cute. And that he had read the book and that he liked it. And he said, so if Jim thinks that you're cute and you're good enough, then I think you're good enough. And that was the, how, the start of our relationship. It made me feel so good at the time. David, how about you? I remember, um, you know, submitting the usual blurb that you do. This is what I'm going to be speaking on. It's my standard little thing I say. And you know, I sent it to him and was excited about, you know, going to this conference and presenting. Next thing I know, like, he wants to talk about it. And I'm like, okay, what are we going to talk about? And, you know, he dove right into, you know, David, I want therapists to feel like they're a client just walked in and out of the blue, they are in shock and grief and they don't have the resources or the knowledge you do. And you're going to make sure in this description, this program description, you help them know after they come to this workshop that, you know, they're going to walk out feeling more knowledgeable and confident. And, you know, I was suddenly like, wow, I want to go to my workshop too. That's amazing. Um, and, you know, he was also someone who said, David, we, we know Kubler-Ross. We don't know you. Help us know you. So, you know, he not only took me to, you know, 20 levels higher in writing my description, but also just in owning my own power. And, uh, you know, that's, you just kind of got off the phone with him and you're like, wow, all right. That, that was, a, you know, a massive hurricane I just went through that helped. For my listeners who are not familiar with who Rich Simon is, he was also the editor of this magazine, which would come out every every month. And and I want to say that Rich had the vision 40 years ago. So this was going on 40 years. And some of the people that we're hearing from uh, in these uh, online groups grieving have been presenters at this uh, symposium for 40 years um, from the very beginning. And it was this, it is now the Psychotherapy Networker Conference and Magazine. And it wasn't always that way. It started off as uh, the family therapy networker, and that name changed um, as, as the field evolved. But Rich was someone who saw trends and saw, as you said, David, sort of saw the best or saw potential and had imagination and creativity, um, almost like a musician. Um, some, one of his best friends, uh, Jay Lappin, who's the board emeritus on the Mnuchin Center for the Family in Philadelphia, 
said that rich is music. And he's jazz music, actually. He's able to be here and there at the same time and kind of make something come together that some people might not see coming together. He saw trends in the field, um, the family therapy movement, when it was actually controversial. And people were almost like uh, Jay Lappin was telling me, passing notes. It felt like they were doing something wrong, having these um, sort of writing papers about how the family is important in treating people when the individual was was so important at that time. And the field kept evolving and he got behind things. Um, there's this there's this saying a lot of people are talking about rich being or people being Simonized by rich. Um, you're you're kind of getting at that, David, I think a little bit. Joe, I think, what is it like to be Simonized? Well, I didn't even know what was happening when it happened because I presented, I sent in my, um, whatever I was writing, it was on LGBTQ issues. I was one of the only voices at the time. And he was so good about uh, wanting to have that be part of the magazine. And then um, I felt like he ripped it to shreds. Like I got it back and I thought, oh my God, he hates me. And he hates what I wrote. And and this is like going to be, a, a maybe he's not going to hit me, but it wasn't. His whole thing was to be critical, but not mean and to, bring out the best in you. He knew what therapists wanted to hear. He knew what therapists were looking for and in a way that I didn't. And so we would go back and forth and it was, it was um, very, very, very difficult. It was almost worse than the editing that any book I ever wrote had to be done. But in the end, that product was almost better or as good as any book I've ever written. And I didn't know though at the time that he had done this to other people, that there was this thing called Simonize until I went to a presenter's party one uh, year and a guy had, uh, we were celebrating Rich, it was his birthday or something. And the guy wrote a song about being Simonized and the back and forth and and what Rich does. And I don't remember all the words, but it was like, it, it normalized the whole thing. I'm like, we're all getting this. He does it with everyone. It's to make the product the best, which he did. I mean, geez, Joe, I, I kind of wish that I had had that conversation with you before uh, when I had uh, spent a couple of years sending proposals in to the to the networker to, to get accepted to speak. And, you know, they were rejected. And finally, I got a call back and you know, I'm talking to Rich. I can't believe it. I, this is the guy. Right. This is the guy everybody wants to know if you're in this field. You, you, you want to get to know Rich and you want to you want to impress him. And so I'm, I'm on the phone. He's, he's, he's saying, just explain what you want to do. And I did. And at the end, he's like, it's just not going to work. You know, and I think I was presenting on mindfulness and just some, you know, everybody presents on mindfulness now, it seems. So it's like, he's like, kind of like you said, Dave, he's like, well, we already know that. What what are you talking about? And I, and I said, well, wait a minute. No, it's it. So finally, I just put together a proposal about working with assholes. And that was the first one I got accepted. <laughs> the other two things I think about, Rich, um, that come up for me in this moment is that one I can remember 10 years ago, so many people were like downscaling in-person conferences and there's a new thing online. And, you know, I kept hearing from people, attendance is dwindling and no one has interest. And I would say, have you been to the networker? Have you met Rich? Because, you know, while people were talking about their conferences dwindling, um, you know, the networker remained on fire. And I think one of the other things that was a really tender moment, uh, many of you uh, know and some don't know, a few years ago, my younger son, David, died. And we had talked about this idea of Rich had the moth, the storytelling evening. 
And uh, he said to me, we were talking and I'm like, you know, the grief expert talking to Rich about my grief. And uh, I, I said, you know, I had to go to the grief counselor's office and I went and sat in the client chair and I felt like I was in the wrong chair. And he goes, I think that's a storytelling. I think that's a story that needs to be told. And we worked on this story and he was so tender about my son dying. And then at the end, I said to him, after planning this for like, you know, a few months, I said, I think it might be too soon for me. And he goes, okay, what's another story? <laughs> and it was just, you know, I was worried about disappointment and what he would think. And he just pivoted and got it and understood. And I go, are you all right? And he goes, yes, I completely understand, of course. And I'm sure you're a guy that has a million stories. And boom, we were on to the next one. That's that's unbelievable, and, and it sounds so similar to what other people are saying. Um, I want to come back to the what you mentioned about your son David in a moment, and talk about grief, and, and ask you to help us maybe through this a little bit, because um, this has been a hard week. Even though we're able to laugh about this, uh, this has been uh, people are I think in a lot of pieces because of this, um, and you know. But I do want to touch on one thing. Um, you know, Rich had a pretty incredible basketball game and. Uh, many people have attested to that, to games he played, pickup games all over the United States and Europe at these, you know, wherever he met with some of his buddies like Dick Schwartz and Jay Lappin. And Jay Lappin is 6'5", by his telling, and he 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 is 70 years old, he said, so he, he might be 6'4 now. But, you know, he couldn't block Rich's outside shot. You know, here's a guy that's 6'5". And a pretty decent basketball player. And, and, and Rich had this amazing ability to pull it off. And and Dick Schwartz would talk about um, Rich's smothering defense and bruising. Like at the end of it, you'd just be bruised by him covering you. And then Dick said it, it made it so much sweeter when I beat him. This idea that somehow, I mean, and therapists are like a herd of cats, you know, never mind basketball. We're kind of like all over the place with our egos and with our turf. And, you know, we have gossip like everyone else. And Rich had this ability to bring out our, our best and our almost like our performance. And, and also at the end of it, somehow we all won. Joe, was that your experience? I would say so. And I also forgot about this, but a lot of presenters would say to uh, me, you know, they would try to write to beat him and not be so critiqued by him and, that, and the proofreading to be very little or none. And some people were successful in that. Like it was like a game, you know, like I'm going to write it so well that he's not going to, and, and I never achieved that, sadly. But what I, I will tell you is he was uh, a personality, whether it was a sport or whether it was in the presentation or the workshops or the writing, he was all over it. He was all over it. When I came out of the sex addiction community and became a sex therapist and identified myself as a kink aware therapist and a kinky therapist, he was so respectful of that because you know he had helped me with the LGBTQ and now here I am in the sex therapy and we did those moths, right? Those storytellings. And he said, I think that that story of you coming out um, from the sex addiction um, identity to a sexual person um, would be a, a compelling story. And he helped me do it. And I'm so grateful to him because for me, it was another coming out and it was with his blessing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. David, you, you mentioned your son and, you know, that's, it's very vulnerable to talk about our loss in public, obviously, 
um, you've I, no doubt had some time and some practice, but I, I, I don't imagine it's easy for you, um, no matter how much, how trained you are uh, for all of us, you know, that, that have training and helping others with our grief. How is this different for, for those of us um, who, who are therapists who, who, who maybe are experiencing this loss? You know, grief is, is a interesting area that I think we, we sort of all know the framework of it sometimes. It's a little like you're describing, you know, a house that's burning. I mean, we all get and can picture what a house burning is like. It's always different when you're the one in the house. So as much as we may, you know, understand the concept of grief intellectually, when it hits us, it's a very different thing. And, you know, I think about what grief is. Grief is grief is a change that we didn't want. Rich's passing is definitely a change none of us wanted in this world. Grief is the reflection of a connection that's been lost. We all felt so connected to Rich. And at the end of the day, grief is love. And so, we're, you know, Grief and love are a package deal this lifetime. And, you know, with all the love we got and care from Rich also comes the grief. So I think that's what we're, we're going through. And to understand this is a natural process, a painful, painful process, and a very organic process that we know how to do. David, is there such a thing as good grief? You know, I think good grief is when you're letting yourself organically, authentically feel it. I mean, you know, I we spend so much time, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and I, trying to help people um, understand, you know, her work that the stages were never a map for grief. There's no one right way to do grief. They're not linear. There's no model for grief. You know, I always say all of us, come from a long line of dead people. Every ancestor we know has died. Our, our soul and psyche, we're designed to take a number of hits this lifetime. And our world tells us we're doing grief wrong, but there really is no way to do grief wrong if you're authentically feeling what's coming up inside of you. It reminds me, and maybe you could speak more to this if, it, if it's helpful for people to hear about it, that when we when we deny our grief, right? When we, when we, when we have trouble feeling what we're feeling, sharing it with others, that it becomes more complicated. Can you speak to that? Yeah. You know, look, what we keep in us hurts us. What we get out heals us and helps us. And I think many times we've all been taught either grief is weakness or tears or sadness, or, you know, there's many, many colors of grief. There's not one right way to do it. And all our grief looks different because all of us had a different relationship with Rich. So it's going to feel different for each one of us. And, uh, you know, I think the more we allow those feelings to come up, one of the, the things is I think we're one of the first generations that has feelings on feelings. You know, I'm angry. Oh, but I don't have a right to be angry or I'm sad, but I shouldn't be sad because I, I wasn't his family member. And, you know, we're judging our feelings instead of just allowing them and feeling them. Yeah, well said, well said. Joe, when I uh, reached out to you, you were very um, willing to respond and talk publicly about Rich and about your, your own grief here. 
Um, you know, I shared with you, I, I have the benefit, I suppose, um, in an ironic way of not having such a close personal relationship with Rich that it's easier for me, I suppose, to to sort of lead this conversation. Um, but Joe, from your previous experiences with grief, um, what do you know about how you've processed grief that, that may be helpful for others? I, my way of processing grief is talking about him the way we're doing. I've, I'm on other listservs that know him, that, you know, respected him. And so they're talking about him. I'm one of those people talking about him there. And humor. You know, he had a great sense of humor. And I've always, I think humor has saved my life. And um, so to get through this, to, to remember laughing with him, laughing about him. I mean, those presentations he would do at the symposium in the beginning and at the end, I mean, he would practically, you know, be in his underwear sometimes and funny underwear and, you know, just make it so that, because this, this work is hard work. We're sitting with people, I mean, David, I mean, you're doing all this grief work. That's hard, hard work. And, the, and so to be able to come together and learn at the symposium, but also have fun and laugh and cry, I just feel like that's, that's my way of honoring him and his memory is to do all of that um, and just remember him in, in the best way I can. Rich wrote in the June issue of Psychotherapy Networker, we're grappling with an emergency at once global and personal, like the ones, the likes of which we've never seen in our lifetimes. And it shapeshifts by the week. We can stock up on all the toilet paper and Lysol we want, but we can't predict what will come to pass in two weeks or even in two days from now. And those words are so prescient. Obviously now, uh, not having Rich here and not expecting this to have happened. Uh, I imagine many of us are feeling this way to learn about. Rich's death. Um, David, you wrote in, in April in the Harvard Business Review an amazing article that went viral and was shared widely. And I was grateful to be sharing it, um, grateful to you to be able to share it with many people that I work with. Uh, it was called That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. Uh, and you talked about the pandemic's influence uh, the effects that it's having on us that we are grieving, whether we realize it or not. How is grief a part of what we're going through in the pandemic? Sure. Let me connect the dots on this, if I may. I think, you know, so many people in March, I think we're feeling it again. And throughout these past months have said, I don't know, I'm just feeling so heavy these days, or I cried last night, or I didn't want to get out of bed this morning. And, you know, for me, they were describing grief. I'm like, that discomfort you're feeling is grief. To really understand, and a lot of people heard this when I did a podcast with B'nai Brown, um, this idea that the world we knew literally last year is gone forever. And everything has changed, you know, from just a hug to another person to handshakes to their, can you do a movie theater anymore? Is that going to be part of our future? And what are restaurants going to look like? And are you going to pass the salt through the plexiglass? I mean, it's a whole loss of a world we knew. At the same time, I tell people there's macro and micro losses. In other words, big and little. Obviously, the loss we're talking about today the loss of someone we deeply love, Rich Simon. The loss of someone, a person who died, is the biggest loss. And yet, 
There's also weddings that have been postponed, jobs that have been lost, um, restaurants that have closed, you know, conferences canceled or move online, human connection. And sometimes we want to go, yeah, but that's not a death, so it doesn't count. And the reality is they do count. It is grief. And the last thing I want to say on this is sometimes we get into this comparison mode of, well, which grief is the worst? And I always go, the worst grief is yours. And besides that, I think about there's enough room in the world for all our losses. You know, I was talking to someone who was crying about her wedding being postponed that she'd been dreaming about since she was five. And after we talked and she walked away, the person I was with said, oh my gosh, does the woman not realize your son died? I mean, she's going to have a wedding again in a year. You're never getting another son. And I said, you know what? The world is big enough for all our losses. Her grieving over the loss of her wedding does not take away from the grief of my son. All of our losses get to coexist without taking away from one another. Really well said. Um, And I think someone like Rich um, would agree with this sort of thing, that that we all have our own ways of grieving. Um, One of the people, one of the writers at the networker mentioned to me this this week that, you know, uh, whenever we have a conversation now about rich, it's going to be rich. And, uh, and her pun was intended. That was something that he would appreciate. Um, we all do it in different ways, David. It sounds like that's what you're saying. You're saying um, be easy on yourself, be kind to yourself. Um, and it, it sounds like it's okay to make mistakes too. You know, it's okay to, to get it wrong with someone else, someone else's grief. It's about learning. I think rich is someone that pushed us all to learn. It, you know, these conferences and this this community could have been uh, one of the values could have been about ego and could have been about getting ahead and making a name. And, and even though that may come out of it, that can bear fruit. It was about learning. Rich was really pushing the masters in this field to get together with the students and pushing the masters to become students. And I, I think it couldn't be, be more well said to, to think of our grief in the same way, David. Um, uh, any other final words or thoughts, Joe? I just am proud to be in the company of both of you um, and in Rich. I felt like I feel like he picked the best of the best in the field, and I feel like I was one of them. I feel eternally blessed by him. And I hope he felt blessed by me in, the, in their interactions. Um, and I'm going to miss him deeply. My heart is really broken. I certainly feel the same way that, um, you know, the networker, life, all of these things will continue. And I will miss him being in that world physically with us. And yet I know he will always be in our heart. Well said. It's David Kessler and Joe Cord. It's really an honor to be with you today. Even under these circumstances, our hearts are heavy and our hearts remain, especially with the family, Sina, Yetta, and the Simon family. Um, and our love goes out to everyone who's been touched by Rich and, um, and everyone take good care. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Keith and David. Yeah. Hey, Joe. Thank, Thank you. you, Keith. Heart is made of blood and stone beats against this cage of bone I wonder if it'll ever free my soul cause 
Tomorrow, so.